Good morning. We are continuing in our study in the book of James, and I want to invite you now to turn in your Bibles, if you would please, to that book. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, we have one in the seat back in front of you, and the book of James is found on page 1011. I think it's important this morning that you look at the passage as we study it, and so I want to invite you please to open your Bible, share a Bible, use your smartphone, your tablet, as we look at God's Word together. This is an interesting book because it's believed to be one of the earliest books of the New Testament, written around 45 to 48 AD. That that we know is that James is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know from Scripture that Jesus had at least four other brothers and at least two sisters. He had siblings. As Jesus grew up as a child and as a boy and as an adolescent, he never told a lie. He never stole anything. He never disobeyed his parents. He never complained about chores. He never gossiped. He never wasted a moment of his life. He was without sin, and I suspect that that made him a pain to his siblings. <laughs> Can you imagine, do you think that Mary and Joseph would look at the other children and say, why can't you be more like Jesus? What we know also from scripture is that when Jesus walked this earth that they didn't believe in his deity. John 7, 5 tells us that for not even his brothers, that is his half-brothers and siblings, believed in him. In the passage in Mark chapter 3, it's reported, and he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came, and he appointed 12 whom he also named the apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. This is Jesus calling his 12. And so there was James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the names the sons of thunder, and Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, and another James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. But then it's reported in verse 20, then he went home, and the crowd gathered around so they could not even eat. And when his family heard about it, they went out to seize him, for they were heard saying, he is out of his mind. Here, beloved, in the book of James, we find what I believe to be one of the most irrefutable pieces regarding the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. James was the younger half-brother of Jesus. Scripture tells us that he didn't believe in his deity when he grew up with him, even though he saw and witnessed his perfect life, his sinless life. In fact, Scripture tells us that he thought he was crazy. So what happened? How is it that we're here today opening up the book of James? We know that James became a leader in the church. James was there at the first Jerusalem council. He penned this epistle. What happened? The answer is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. And 
There he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 5,000 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And here it is, verse 7. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. The James that he's referring to here is James the half-brother. After his resurrection, Jesus personally appeared to James. And that's why James and his brothers, and I believe his sisters, were there in the upper room with 120 other believers. He went from he's crazy to he is, in fact, the Messiah, the Christ, the incarnate God. Husbands, you ought to be encouraged this morning. The next time that one of your ideas, whether it's raising an ostrich farm or gator burgers, and the family looks at you and says, your cheese has slipped off your cracker, be encouraged. Because Jesus' family thought he was crazy as well. The book of James is for day-to-day living, and I love this book. It has practical precepts for us that meet us right where we are. Throughout the book, the frequent use of the word faith, it encourages us to walk in a manner that is consistent with the profession of faith that we have made in the Lord Jesus Christ. What James is telling us is that you got to walk the talk. The theme of faith, he's not talking about saving faith or justifying faith. James' theme is very practical. What he does is he looks at our lifestyle And he's saying and challenging us that we ought to have a lifestyle that's produced by faith in Jesus. We're not saved by our works, beloved. But if you are saved, there should be evidence of that new nature by works. True faith will always generate obedience. Now, what we've learned from the previous messages is that even if you have this new relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you will still experience temptations and trials. James, however, teaches us that we should count it joy. Now, that's not some artificial cheerleading stuff. When it says to count it as joy, this is really an accountant term. Leo Miller, who is the chairman of our fellowship committee, is an accountant, and he keeps impeccable records over every cent that goes through the fellowship fund, and I thank God for him and for the committee. He no doubt will listen carefully now since I've used the word accountant twice. But when the vicissitudes of life come, when disaster strikes, when temptation is besetting you, what he is saying, and remember this is an accounting term, so when things don't measure up to your dreams... When hopes and expectations are less than you expected, when you can't get things to add up, as it were, James says, don't put it in the loss column of your life's ledger, but rather, beloved, put it in the, what is God trying to teach me through this ledger? God is teaching me something here, even if it's the truth regarding one of his divine attributes, that he'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. I'm more than the sum of the things that I own. I'm so much more than where I live or what's in my bank account. 
even in the trial and the temptation, we can trust God. So if you can't measure the message that the Lord is giving you in the temptation, then James tells us, ask God. Ask God for wisdom, and he'll help you to understand what is it that God is trying to teach you in the midst of that situation. Oh, that's so practical. Today, in the passage we have the privilege of perusing, James again provides us with precepts for practical application. Let's look again at the text, if you would, please, starting at verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. Hmm. Don't be deceived. The word brothers there, actually a better translation for that is siblings. What he's really saying is my beloved brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be confused any longer about this issue of temptation. I don't want you to be deceived about it. Now, beloved, when we come into the house of God and we break open his word and we come with the expectation that God is going to speak to us, we do that so that you will know the truth, that you will relate that truth to your present experience, that when you leave here, you will meditate on that truth and meditate on God's word, but more importantly, that you will practice the truth in your daily life. We never, beloved, want to be educated beyond obedience. That that the Lord gives us, we want to apply in our everyday life. And so the challenge I submit for your consideration this morning is simply this. Is there some area in your life where these truths are needed? Is there some area in your life right now where these truths are needed? Well, you say, Larry, what truths? Well, we have at least three that we can glean from this text. Look again at verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Huh. Don't be deceived, James says. And so what do we get from this? He says, look, stop blaming. Stop blaming other people. Stop blaming circumstances. Stop blaming Satan for the temptations and your sins. In other words, let's place the blame rightfully where blame belongs. We're tempted because of our fallenness. We are tempted because of our lust. We are tempted because of our weaknesses. We are tempted because of our rationalizations. We are tempted because of our denials. And God, please, beloved, never, ever blame God, he says. Don't be deceived. God is perfect. God is holy. God is good. And he has no responsibility for sin. So let's look at where the blame really lies. Truth number one is that the goodness of God, the compassion of God as it's evinced by his generosity and his grace and his mercy, 
The point James is making here is that God is the source of all good things in the experience of man. Now this may be a new concept for some of you as you believe that you're solely responsible for your success and your possessions and your fame. Don't be deceived, beloved. What about your family? Are you responsible for the family that you were born in or was that a gift from God? What about the friends that you have? Do you believe that you are self-made and that you have whatever you have that you want to boast about because of your education, because of your great wit, because of your resources? Now, don't get me wrong. Perseverance, dedication to a task, an indomitable spirit, they each will serve you well if you're pursuing excellence in a career. That's not what I'm saying. But if you have an indomitable spirit and if you have perseverance, then, beloved, who gave you that mind? Who gave you the breath and the will and the strength to do whatever it is that you're going to do? Who was it that allowed you to be born into a country that is filled with so many opportunities? Maybe I'll make it plain. How is it that you even woke up this morning? Don't be deceived. We have what we have because we have been blessed by God. As I was meditating on this passage, I was compelled to consider anew the goodness that God has lavished in my life. My parents, my sisters, my children, and my wife, Lamita. Lamita and I have been together now almost four decades. And during that time, as I was thinking about this, she has not once ever given me cause to believe that she was unfaithful or ever interested in somebody else. Not once. Certainly, she's been unhappy with some of my behavior and decisions. And to be truthful, I'm sure she has been frustrated but ever faithful, that beloved is a blessing that had nothing whatsoever to do with me, but it was a blessing from God. Scripture says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Amen. I got a good thing, beloved. The Lord has blessed me. There's a deeper point to this, though, and what James is saying here is that when we are tempted, when we are tried, Consider the goodness of God as it will help you then measure your response to the temptation and to the trial. I want you to consider again what Nathan said to King David when he had to confront him about his great sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. When he went into him, David said, or rather Nathan said, David, you're the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I appointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, 
I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. What he is saying to him, look how good God has been to you. And in the face of how good God has been to you, how can you be tempted to be disobedient? This is what Joseph responded when Potiphar's wife tried to entice him into sin. He said, look, wait, wait, wait. Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything. This is found in Genesis 39. And he's put me in charge of everything. He is not greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And what he is saying here, God is the source of all that is good. And that fact should help order our responses to trials and temptations. Hasn't God been good to you? You may not have everything you want, but you have what you need. He woke you up this morning. He gave you a little something to eat. You sit here sane and clothed and in your right minds. I'll take two out of three. You're here this morning. He's been good to you. And what James is telling us is that when you are tempted, consider the goodness of God. Oh, is there an area in your life where you need to apply that truth? Don't be deceived, beloved. Truth number two. Father of lights. And here we see this truth, God's creativity. We worship a creative God. I can't linger here, but if we were to consider just regeneration and what has to occur in the sovereign work of God in the heart of the believing sinner, regeneration simply couldn't happen any other way. Our very salvation is because of God's creative initiative from the beginning to the end. In fact, the entire Trinity is involved in that act of regeneration. James's point, the sovereignty of God is revealed in his creativity, so consider how awesome our God is. He could create a plan to redeem all of mankind flawlessly execute that plan in perfect harmony with the prophecies of the Old Testament, a plan that has no boundaries of space or time, is relevant throughout eternity. Now, if we have a God who can do that, perhaps he also has a plan for your situation. Now, this is hard theology because life is hard and we oftentimes get caught off guard. We get surprised. We get ambushed. But if you consider anew the creativity of the sovereign God that you serve, this truth emerges. God is never caught by surprise, beloved. Before you were born, God knew that that trial, that temptation was going to come into your life. Not only did he know about it, he permitted it and he allowed it. 
Now this is hard theology. If he permitted it, and he has, and he allowed it, which he did, then that means he also has a plan, and beloved God's plans never fail. Don't be deceived. The God that we worship is the Father of lights. The God that we worship is the God that placed the stars and the galaxies and the universe into existence by the sheer force of his will alone. I think we can trust him with what it is that we need if we would but remember that he is a creative God that has no limitations and no limits. The word reminds us of this truth, that no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you might be able to endure it. We are reminded to consider the creativity of God when we face trials and temptations. God promised you he'd never leave you and that he'd never forsake you and he'd never tempt you beyond what you're able to bear. His creativity is unmatched and he can create a way for you in every situation. Our God is not limited. And James implores us here to remember the creativity of God and the goodness of God when we are faced with real life temptations. The third truth that is revealed in this passage this morning, the consistency of God. Look again at the text. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruit. Boy, times change. When I was a young boy, many businesses were closed on Sundays. Now most businesses are open seven days a week, and some are even open 24 hours a day. I remember when gas stations were closed on Sundays, you had to do a little planning. Get your gas on Saturday if you were planning on going anywhere on Sunday. My dad likes to brag about a time when he was a boy when he could go to a movie, buy a soda and some candy, all for 25 cents. And he says that you could walk into the movie at any time, walk into the middle of it, and you'd sit there and just watch it as it rolled around again to where you came in. Times have changed. Just a couple of generations ago in high schools, the biggest problems that they faced in high schools were length of hair, length of skirts, chewing gum, messy lockers. The issues that we face in today's high schools are murder, sexually transmitted diseases, drugs, gangs, guns. Times change. We now live in a time and in a culture where it's legal to buy marijuana. I remember when it was not legal to buy marijuana. I say this to you and know my heart. You know, most of the 
research that was done on marijuana was done during the 60s with the Georgia farm and the Mississippi experiments. The marijuana that's available now is a lot more potent, a lot more powerful than that was available in the 60s. I don't think we really know what the long-term effects of this are going to be. There hasn't been sufficient research. I say this to you, beloved, and hear it in its context. Just because something is lawful does not mean that it's right, nor does it mean nor does it mean that it is good for you. The laws will come and go, the laws will change, but praise God, beloved, God never changes. The God that we worship. He's always been holy, he's holy now, he'll always be holy. He's always been powerful, he is powerful now. He is still in control, and he will always be powerful. He neither weakens nor does he wane. His word is always true, and you cannot walk into this sanctuary without being reminded of that fact that Jesus Christ is the same, beloved, yesterday, today, and forever. Spiritual growth is a commitment to change. This is what James is saying. You're going to get tempted. You're going to face trials. Don't be deceived. James reminds us that we're to expect only good gifts from God. And there is that good gift which counters our tendency to sin that makes us vulnerable to temptation. That gift, it's found in the passage, God has chosen to give us birth through the word of truth. The old nature which responds wrongly is now balanced by a new nature which responds to God. For this new nature has been created as a kind of first fruit of all that God has created. Don't you see it? The promise of complete righteousness that occurs in the resurrection, it's guaranteed as we see God creating righteousness within our hearts right now, as we commit to obedience right now. James is saying that we should adopt a different personal perspective on life, that we have to look at the long-term purpose of trials and rejoice in that long-term purpose that we should expect to receive wisdom from God when we're challenged and that we can ask for guidance and we need to act on that guidance. He reminds us each today that our identity is rooted in our relationship with God and we have to take responsibility for temptation. And we can expect God's good gift of a new nature to enable us to overcome it. The question is, do you know him? This isn't theoretical. He's talking about the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. And yes, God is good and God is perfect and God is holy and God is merciful and God is full of grace, but God is also just and the day will come when he will judge. Do you know him? Have you accepted him as your Lord and as your personal savior? 
Otherwise, this is academic. James is talking to believers, to those who have put their faith and their hope and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is telling them, don't blame anybody for your situation. God has given you that gift that you need now, a new nature where you can overcome both. But you can't do that without the Holy Spirit. You can't have the Holy Spirit unless you're saved. And beloved, you can't be saved without Jesus. Where does this apply in your life today? Maybe you've just simply forgotten the goodness that God has lavished in your life with the busyness of work and just forgotten how blessed you are. You can repent. Perhaps you've forgotten that God is creative and that you aren't without hope. You can repent. Or maybe you're sitting here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Every believer has been in that same situation. If God is speaking to your heart this morning, I want to encourage you to respond to the God who loves you. The word tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him won't perish but will have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, I've said what you would have me to say. Would you now take the little that I have and you multiply it for your glory? Visit every seat, every aisle, every pew. Would you supernaturally now meet their greatest need. If we need to repent, hear their cries, Father. There may be someone sitting here who has never trusted you. As you speak to their heart, would you give them the courage to respond? Do now what only you can do. Encourage, enable, Equip, convict, call, save. We'll always be quick to give you the praise, to give you the honor, to give you the glory. Now we pray in the matchless name of Yeshua, Jesus, our Savior and our King, and amen.